Turning a Life Around with Podcasting, The Journey to Recovery from Alcoholism and Building a Meaningful Career with Larry Roberts from Red Hat Media on the Beyond Adversity Podcast with Dr. Brad Miller. While you're not allowed to say this in any martial arts gym, whether it's mixed martial arts or karate or not, the birth defect that I had and the restructuring of my sternum left my rib cage very narrow. And because of that, my lungs grew very narrow. My lungs go up above my clavicle and they go down into my hips. So they're very long, very tubular. And because of this deformity, I only have about 60% of the normal person's lung capacity. Welcome to the Beyond Adversity podcast with Dr. Brad Miller, the show dedicated to helping you crush adversity and succeed in life. Brad believes you deserve a life that is fulfilling and impactful. And this show is designed to help you navigate beyond adversity and achieve your life of peace, prosperity, and purpose. Now, here's Dr. Brad. Hello, good people. Welcome to Beyond Adversity with Dr. Brad Miller. It is indeed an incredible pleasure and a privilege to have you join me today here on a beautiful summer day as I come in to you from the Loft Home Studios just outside the city limits of Indianapolis, Indiana, coming to you with the life-changing message of helping you to identify, focus in on your adverse life events to navigate through them to achieve your life of peace and prosperity and purpose. You can always head over to my website, drbradmiller.com, for more information about all our back episodes of the podcast, which deal with such adverse life events as depression, divorce, disease, debt, and death. And we provide you with some processes and experts, and methodologies to help you get through them. I use my expertise and bring on the expertise of others to be helpful to you. And you can learn more about our courses and about our coaching at drbradmiller.com. One of the things we like to deal with here are leadership, business fulfillment, and how people have overcome certain adversities to achieve success in the business realm. And today that is the case as we have a person who has dealt with a chemical dependency, alcoholism, and how he dealt with a serious situation of a problem with alcohol, which threatened his career, which threatened his marriage, which threatened everything he was all about. But he managed to identify that adversity and to push through that and get through that with the help of some others and to, with the power of, believe it or not, the power of podcasting to help them get through things. We're talking with Larry Roberts today. And one of the things that Larry likes to say on his website, redhatmedia.io, is turning a life around with podcasting is, and giving back to others in podcasting is what. He's changed his life. In fact, he says podcasting saved his life, and he owes it to the industry to give his clients everything he has. We're going to talk about his story here today. He now has the company called Red Hat Media, which is very involved with the world of helping business folks embrace their brand stories to frame their next chapters and position themselves strongly in their industries. And he is very well known in the fields of podcasting and artificial intelligence and is an in-demand stage speaker at uh, live events and virtual events such as Podcast Movement, PodFest, and other events such as that. He has a new podcast called Branded, which he co-hosts with Sarah Loshi. And you can find that at listentobranded.com. His website is... uh, is redhatmedia.io. In this particular episode, we're going to talk about how he faced down the demon of alcoholism and corrected things through the power of great friendships who spoke into his life, 
the power of then getting professional help. I'm talking about getting into a rehab center, how he was able to be uh, called upon to help and to be dependent upon his grandmother in many ways, who was there through his whole life, and he overcame a number of adversities in order to turn his life around. And a part of that process is when he began to help other people with the area of podcasting. So that's what did it. He dealt with his problem and he replaced it with more purpose in his life. So we're going to talk about a few things here today. We're going to talk about taking action, which was prompted by a friend's intervention. We're going to talk about finding fulfillment and helping others achieve their goals. We're going to talk about the importance of accountability importance of pushing through. This is a great story, a fascinating story. I was privileged to be interviewed uh, by Larry at an event in 2022. You may have heard that in an earlier episode here of Beyond Adversity. Adversity, and boy, does he. Listen to the story of Larry Roberts. Apply it to your life, particularly in your own situation, or maybe others in your life it may apply to, where they need to identify the problem, whatever it is, then to do something about it and replace it by doing something ambitious to help other people. Our guest today on Beyond Adversity, Larry Roberts. Let's get into that conversation right now. Hello again, good people, and welcome to Beyond Adversity with Dr. Brad Miller. It's the podcast where we like to help people to navigate adversity and to come to their life of peace and prosperity and purpose. Love to talk to people who uh, face some issues and problems in their life have come through it and have something to teach others. And that's the case here today. Larry Roberts is with us. He is the founder of Red Hat Media, which you can find at redhatmedia.io, which is a company dedicated to helping business leaders to embrace brand stories, frame their next chapters in their business, and position themselves strongly in their industry he is extremely well known in the podcasting industry. He's been featured at, at Podcast Movement and Podfest and some other great podcast uh, events. And recently, he launched a new podcast called Branded with his co-host Sarah Losi. And he's our, but he has an incredible story to tell about how he got to all these places. He's also an expert in AI, and we'll talk about that a little bit. He has an incredible story about where he came from to where he's at now. Larry Roberts, welcome to Beyond Adversity. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me here. We've known each other for a little over a year now, and I'm glad we finally had the opportunity to have a conversation. So this is cool. This is awesome. We have got to know each other. It's through some events and some opportunities that we have had uh, together. And uh, not too long ago, I heard you you gave you unpacked and gave us some really gave the event. I was had some really tremendous insights on the whole AI world. I know you're becoming an expert in that. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. But you've created a successful media conglomerate here redhatmedia.io is the is red hat media is your company and your new podcast and you're very well known in the world of podcasting mm-hmm. and you've had some success there but that's come through a journey and a bit of a price through some personal challenges that you have and just we'd like to i'd like to talk a little bit about that larry about sure. where you came from and where you're at now tell us a little bit where you're at a few years ago where you were actually cruise along relatively well in another career in the corporate space, and then you had some some challenges. Tell us, take us back to that place to help us set the context for where you're at now. Yeah, and you, actually, Brad, if you don't mind, I'm going to take it back just a little bit even further. You do that, uh, my man. This is all about overcoming adversity, and yes. literally from day one, I think I had a little more adversity than most. I was actually born with a birth defect where my sternum was concave as compared to normal sternums being convex. So it was growing in while all my organs were growing out. And I was literally, as I grew, was being suffocated to death by my own body. At the age of four, I had to have reconstructive surgery that literally saved my life. So if I hadn't had the surgery, I would have passed away. I wouldn't have made it to age five or six, they said. They went in, they restructured my sternum, moved some organs around and put some pins in and removed some ribs and did a variety of fun things and sent me back out into the world. Right out of the gate, I went through some adversity just trying to stay alive. And over the years, that surgery had a, a tremendous impact on my life. Uh, it, it allowed me to be here today with you. Yes. But at the same time, it changed everything. 
It took me from just a normal boy to a very fragile little boy. It, it did some things to me structurally where I'm very narrow uh, in the chest area and also was very thin growing up. I was super tall and super, super skinny. But because of that, my my parents they and my grandmother, they worked together to keep me safe and they put me in private school, which led to its own interesting challenges. Many people think that going to a private school, man, you're just at the upper echelon of society. But the irony there was is that my family was very poor to the point where we lived in the back of the trailer park, literally in the maintenance shed of the trailer park. And my grandmother actually paid for me to go to private school. So while you're at a private school with all these other rich kids, you got the super poor kid over here that's trying to fit in, too. So that made for some interesting challenges over the years. Yes. So as I grew older and we have to keep in mind, too, that I grew up in the 80s, the late 70s, early 80s. And back then in the 80s, the action stars were what it was all about. You had to be a tough guy in the 80s. It was the testosterone era. And if we think back to the early 80s, ninjas were on the scene. The Karate Kid was on the scene. And I can relate to Danielson quite a bit because he was tall and skinny and got picked on a lot. And then he learned karate and it saved all of his it it solved all of his problems. So I just knew as a kid that if I learned how to fight. It would solve all my problems. I also grew up in a very violent household. My mother and my biological father, they separated when I was a year and a half old. My mom immediately remarried the drummer of the band she met at the skating rink. So they, she really vetted that one. There's another story there. Yeah, We've got yeah. two or three tangents we can yeah, go on. Yeah, we could go off on a variety of tangents. I'm trying to stay, trying to stay straight focused. and narrow on my story real quick. Yes, sir. Very violent home. Stepdad was very aggressive. Did a couple years in the pen for drug dealing, all kinds of fun stuff. So very interesting home life. And again, with the violence in the home, I just felt that if I could be a tough guy, if I could fight, that would solve all my problems. So always had a fascination with martial arts, always wanted to be a ninja uh, at the time, but it became less and less obvious that I probably am not going to be a ninja. But I did become very well versed in the martial arts. I've got multiple black belts these days. That became life. Karate became life. Fighting became life. And fighting and karate in my world are two entirely different things. I was a black belt before I even learned how to fight. I had no idea. Uh, I've been a black belt for years and I went to this new school and I started to train with their fight team and immediately got KO'd on the first night. I was like, oh my gosh, this is, I don't know how to fight. So I learned how to fight. And then I started fighting competitively, started off kickboxing and found a lot of success kickboxing, actually went nine and oh as a kickboxer. Then in the early 90s, the ultimate fighting championship came to the United States and we saw what real fighting was. And we're like, oh, my gosh, this is what it's all about. So now always wanting to be the fighter, always wanting to be the tough guy because that solves all my problems. I had to do this mixed martial arts stuff or back then they called it NHB or no holds barred. So I started learning how to fight in mixed martial arts. And then I started competing mixed martial arts and found mixed success there. My ground game was always pretty suspect. I didn't have a lot of jujitsu or wrestling base to me. So wasn't quite as successful there as I was with my kickboxing, but I continued to improve. And my goal was to eventually fight in the ultimate fighting championship. I just knew if I could be a UFC fighter, that would solve all my problems. And I was training with professional fighters at the time. Several of my teammates made it to the big show. They made it to the UFC. And I got to live vicariously through them. But late 1999, early 2000, I had a realization. And I was training for a pro fight, a big pro fight that was a feeder league that They fed fighters to the UFC. So if you win this fight, you're going to get some eyes on you from the UFC. And we went down to Houston to in route to it was going to be in in Houma, Louisiana is where this fight was scheduled to take place, which is just a little swamp town in Louisiana. And on the way, we decided to stop in Houston and train with literally the number one mixed martial arts coach on the planet at the time. His name was Saul Solis. He trained multiple UFC champions. Just about every champion in that timeline was trained by Saul. So we go down there and uh, it's the day before the fights. And I'm rolling or doing jujitsu or grappling with a, a UFC fighter by the name of Eve Edwards. And I hadn't been going for long, maybe 90 seconds or something. And as we're on the mat, Saul Solis walks by and he says, I think, seven words to me that literally changed every aspect of my life. Hmm. He looked at me and he goes, your cardio is a bit suspect, bro. 
Hmm. And that's all he said. Now, that doesn't sound very impactful. It doesn't sound like it should change your life. Go there. What's what happened there? What pivoted there for you? What pivoted there was the fact that while you're not allowed to say this in any martial arts gym, whether it's mixed martial arts or karate or not, the birth defect that I had and the restructuring of my sternum left my rib cage very narrow. And because of that, my lungs grew very narrow. My lungs go up above my clavicle and they go down into my hips. So they're very long, very tubular. And because of this deformity, I only have about 60% of the normal person's lung capacity. So when he walked by and said those words to me, I knew right then and there that no matter what I did, no matter how hard I trained, no matter how hard I tried, no matter how many coaches I had, my physical inability to fill my gas tank or be able to breathe at the same level as these real athletes, that was it. Yeah. Interesting that he had the acuity and the vision to see that, not knowing the medical part of thing, but to see that part of you that was evident to him that was probably not evident to uh, others, maybe not even yourself at the time. It was evident to me, but I I had that determination. I had that perseverance that I was going to power through and I was going to do it even though I I didn't have a full gas tank most of the time. And honestly, I I got a reputation that if you took me into the later rounds, you got a better chance of beating me because I'm going to gas. I'm going to run out of gas. But I, I just knew that I could get past it. I knew. But when Saul walked by and said that after a very short amount of time, Mm-hmm. that just flipped that switch. And I went, man, I'm really not going to make it. I'm really not going to be able to fill the, fulfill so, this dream. So already you faced the adversity at birth, and now you're facing this adversity and an activity which you are passionate about. Sure, so sure. So transitions you're going through right here, aren't they? And the adversity growing up with a violent home, I ended up coming to blows with my stepdad, finally whooped him a little bit and got his respect, had to do that. And honestly, even growing up, my, my biological father, and I've shared this before, so it's not, I say it's not that big a deal. It's really a big deal. But I was sexually abused by my biological father and his fourth wife. And so there was some animosity there over the years. And I owned my own karate school. And he came out to the karate school one night, drunk as can be, said he's going to teach me how to fight. And it didn't quite work out the way he planned. So I'd, I'd had violent confrontations with both of my father figures. Wow. So all that adversity throughout the years led up to this moment where, again, Fighting solved everything. I finally got Richard's respect when I beat him up. I finally got Larry. That's my biological father's name was also Larry. Gained his respect and got a little revenge for the nonsense that he put me through. So fighting had solved most of my problems up to this point in life. And now fighting's gone. What am I going to do? So I ended up that night reconciling with myself that I'm not even going to fight the next day. So I went to the event and I got sick. And I'm throwing up air quotes. I got sick because I I wasn't sick. I was mentally defeated. I was, it was devastated. Defeat is not, I was just devastated, but I wasn't so sick that I couldn't corner my friend when he was fighting in the main event to win his first world championship. I was right there in his corner, screaming and yelling and telling him exactly what to do for him to win. And he did win, but obviously uh, I, I wasn't sick, but then to make it even worse, I was embarrassed about the fact that I was at the end of my fight career, that it really wasn't ever going to happen for me. And I went back home and I lied to everybody. I told everybody, yeah, I fought. Yeah, I won in the first round. I got it by knockout, broke his nose with a knee, blah, blah, blah. And I lived that life for years and years. But inside, I'm just racked with guilt and racked with every negative emotion you can imagine. And so from that point forward, I had to find something else to focus on. And I had started working for the company that I recently retired from. And I decided at that point to just give into the whole work life. You do your job, you, you work throw eight to Throw yourself into your work. Okay. Yeah, throw myself into my work. And beyond that, throw myself into the corporate social schema. So you do okay. your job, you work eight to five, whatever it is. Then you get off and you go to the bar. And you Play the out, game, whatever party. The, the nuances are there were politically within the, the body. 100%. Whatever it was. Yeah. 100%. So we ended up, I ended up going to happy hours literally every night. We went to the same bars, a little place called Fox and a Hound. It's an upscale pool hall, cigar lounge type scenario. Uh, and we literally got to the point where we w- lived there. It was like cheers. Everybody knew our name. Yeah. We walk in, we know all the staff, we know everybody, blah, blah, blah. And we'd get there at 530 because it was just down the street from the office and we'd shut it down literally every night. And in doing this, I started drinking and started partying and started drinking and continued drinking and drinking became everything. 
let me get it straight. There was some drinking involved. That's what I make a sure. Little I'm hearing you're, I'm hearing a little right. bit of drinking. I'm a little bit of drinking. Okay. And I, I never really drank for the enjoyment of it. It was always drinking to escape and drinking to just make the pain go away, drinking to distract. Peer, and some peer aspect, peer pressure as well with that? or I wouldn't in. say there's peer pressure. There's definitely okay. peer pressure in a corporate environment. And I see that even today when I go to meetings or I go to lunches or I go to happy hours for networking. Everybody's, oh, what are you drinking? What are you drinking? Let me buy you a drink. Let me buy, let's go get a drink. And yeah, I guess there was definitely some peer pressure from that perspective. But for me, it was just, let's just party. Let's just party till we pass out. And that pattern continued up until 2013. It was July of 2013. And this was around 2000 when when I got really hardcore into partying. And then July of 2013, I ended up in the hospital for the first time for alcohol poisoning. And just to clarify also, at this point, you you married and had family at this point? Is that right? I had family from my first wife. So I, I had see. two children okay. from my first wife. I got married right out of high school. So I ended up having my children very early. I was 18 years old when my daughter was born. And then three years later, my son was born. So that's why he, I sit here today at 50 and I have a 33 and a 30 year old. So so people go, what? Yeah, that's how it started. Yeah. But so we, and we ended up getting divorced and I met my current wife who I'm still with in 2001 and we partied together. So we both had a good time and we both enjoyed our liquor and we both got all liquored up every night till we literally passed out. And Brad, even before I got into July of 2013, when I went to the hospital, it was to the point where she and I both would get off work because we worked together. So instead of going okay. to the bar, yeah, we she worked the part, same. part of the crowd there. She's part of the, the game. Oh, yeah, 100%. No. I, I, I met I her see. at the office, but okay. I really spoke to her for the first time at Fox and a Hound at the bar that we went to. Okay. Uh, so we would get to the point where we'd get off work, we'd come home, and our drink of choice was gin. And uh, we would do shots of gin. So we would both get home. We'd just put our stuff down go straight to the freezer where we kept the gym, pour two shots, and we have a dual sink. And we would stand at that sink. We'd do the shots. And we stood at the sink because we knew the first shot was going to come back up. Oh Our gosh. body was going to reject it. Our body was going to go, nah, I don't want this. But it did want it because we already we were going through detox at the same time. So it was a very... Drinking and detoxing simultaneously, is that right? 100%. Okay. And so we would stand there. We'd knock back about three shots in a row. And then finally, things would start to calm down. We're like, all right, cool. Now we, we can go get the dogs. We can do whatever we need to do. And then we drank and drank till we passed out. This was a nightly ritual. This is exactly what we did every night. And sick on so many levels, including physically, right? Oh, physically, emotionally. Yeah, every yeah. aspect. And it got even worse for me to a degree. We we were both really far gone. But at the same time, I was taking it even further because I'd pass out, I don't know, nine, 10 o'clock and she would pass out. But she most times she made it to the bed. I typically didn't even make it there is couch floor. We actually still have pictures of me where I passed out in the backyard. So you, you literally crashed where you were at. Huh? Oh, yeah. Just okay. it's like a robot turning the power off. It's just yeah. right there. But I would get up in the middle of the night. I'd wake up two o'clock, three o'clock. And I'd go slam two or three more shots to put me back oh to sleep. Gosh. Wow. And then it got to the point where I'd wake up in the morning and we're getting ready for work. The alarm would go off. And of course, I feel horrible. And uh, I was being so sneaky. I would wait for her to turn the hairdryer on to do her hair. And I'd sneak off into the freezer and open the freezer drawer because it was one of those bottom freezers. And I'd pull it out and I'd get the gin while she's got the dryer going, the hairdryer going, so she can't hear me. So then I'd bam, 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 bam. I'd just throw back two or three more shots, generally three. And uh, then we'd go to work to the point where I was finding reasons to go home. Oh, I forgot this. Or, oh, I'm not going to go to lunch with the guys. Or, oh, I I had to go home at some point during the day and go home and slam two or three more shots. So Uh, this was pervasive. This was your life, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. hundred percent every day. And then the weekends, it just doesn't stop. You were living the drink. You were living the drink. (laughs) Definitely wasn't living the dream. I'll tell you that. Uh, But yeah, definitely living the the drink. One thousand percent. Yeah, And like I say, it got to the point where finally my body is just like, we're, we're not doing this anymore. And I remember in July of 2013, my body just basically caught fire. That's what it felt like. Okay. It felt like my whole body was on fire and I could not make it stop. And we eventually had to call the ambulance and they came to the house and wheeled me out. 
and uh, I had alcohol poisoning. I think I spent three days in the hospital that time. And we played it off at the office as, oh, I got sick. I got food poisoning. I got something, whatever. Uh, but everybody knew what it was. They're not stupid, yeah. but they're just being supportive. Well, that's your, and, your, not your work group, but your social group. And people Oh, yes, everybody. Yeah. Yeah, it's my fa- and I'm still considered most of them my family today because that's what they were. I, I worked at this company for 22 years. So uh, the, that's a massive part of your life. It's nearly half my life that I was with sure. this company and these most of these people. So they were just trying to be supportive, but also the chief information officer or vice president of, of information technologies close personal friend of mine also knows exactly what's going on. He's a pretty wise fella. And after I got back to the office, he called me in his office and he goes, look, I know we're playing a game here that you got sick or food poisoning or whatever, but we both know what the problem is. And either you stop now or you pack your stuff. And if it ever happens again, you get help. And uh, I said, dude, I won't do it. I'm done. I'm clean. I'm, <laughs> I'm done. This scared me to death. I'm doing, I'll do a breathalyzer every day. I'll get a portable breathalyzer and I'll blow it where I'll do it every day, whatever. And I cleaned up for a couple months. And the interesting dynamic about working with your wife and, and cause she's been there at this time, she'd only been there one year less than me. So we both you know, grew up in this company and she's still there to this day, as a matter of fact, but working together with your wife can be very interesting because we worked on the same floor. We had the same social circles. We knew all of the same staff, management, you name it. I mean, everybody, yeah. we're, we're all there. We all know. So we all know when there's some nonsense going on in a different department. So if she gets mad about something, I could literally stand up from my desk and look across the floor and see her at her desk. That's how close we were. And me and my loud voice, she could hear me all day, every day. So we knew what was up. So we'd get in the car and we'd be driving home because we rode together, of course. No need to drive two cars. Sure. And we'd find some reason. We'd find some reason to just let's go get a small bottle. We went through several iterations of you trying were to stop. You were you're playing the game yourself, not only in your company, but among you two as a married couple. 100%. And there'd be times where she was ready to stop and I wasn't and vice versa. And then there'd be times where we got lucky and we were on the same page as far as we don't need to drink anymore. But it goes back to what I was saying in that we always found a reason. So-and-so made me so mad today. How am I going to get past this? Let's just go get a small bottle. Get the bottle, yeah. Let's just get, let's get a small one. Not that big a deal. <laughs> but that small bottle goes to a bigger bottle. And then finally it sure. goes up to the 750 milliliter. And before you know it, you're back doing four to five 750 milliliter bottles a week. Our alcohol consumption bill was the, the, a mortgage. Amazing. It was a mortgage. I don't remember exactly what the, the numbers are, I, but I just know that's got to be a lot of money oh, yeah. built up into just the alcohol alone. My goodness. 100%. And we'd always buy beer as well. We didn't drink the beer. Was, that was what was so weird. We'd always have cold beer in the house. And we'd always have one in our hand. But we didn't drink the beer. It was more like, I don't know, the beer was like a security blanket. It was just a weird. And you get up in the morning and you find a 100% full beer on mm-hmm. this end table or the bar over here. where You'd find they're all full. We never drank the beer, but we always had to have it. Some weird so, justification that it wasn't quite as bad as the maybe, hard liquor, maybe. maybe. Who knows? Yeah, never really understood that one. But So how, how'd, um, you, how'd you start to get out of this? <clears throat> I, like I said, I, I cleaned up after the hospital scenario yeah. uh, for about two months. And then... Found a reason and just went back in full bore ahead, just went at it and just started. I didn't see a way out, I think, at this point. I think I was frustrated and felt hopeless. So I in a weird way, I think I was trying to just end it. And mm. because I quit eating, I quit going to work. So you won't uh, have any overt suicidal thoughts, but maybe this just recklessness, maybe? Yeah, 100% recklessness. And with yeah. the, you knew there was, you knew the end, there was no alternative ending. The ending was it was over. Yeah. And I, I reconciled myself to that and thought, I'll just go out soft and easier. Whatever. I don't know. It's hard to to really articulate the thought process. And I just have to look back on it to make those uh, educated assumptions, sure. really. Sure. But I had been out of work eventually for about two and a half weeks. Why they didn't let me go, I have no idea, other than I I definitely had the CIO in in my corner. Uh, He's a father figure to me even today. I still look to him for guidance and input. And Mm -hmm. and yeah, I look to him for everything, honestly. Is this the same guy who told Um, you to clean up your act or you might have to go? Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah, so I know he was running protection on the back end for me, just hoping that I would clean up my act. Uh, But after about two and a half weeks of really not eating. I was consumed. The only thing I was consuming other than alcohol was there were special K pre-mixed breakfast drinks. 
They come okay. in a little, I don't know, eight ounce bottle or something. And they're like chocolate yeah. milk basically is really all it amounted to. Hmm. So I was drinking chocolate milk and gin. Oh, <laughs> that was my. how I was being. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, okay. it worked out really well. But thereafter, uh, like I said, about two weeks, I was sitting on the couch. I was sitting on the end of the couch. And I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what intervened. We can say it was Lord coming to me and going, hey, man, it's not time yet or what. But there was there was a vocal voice that told me that if I don't get help today, that tomorrow's not going to be there. Okay. This is it. This is it. This so is this, it. This is your this, final warning. This was your this, moment. This is it. Is that, this is your final answer. And that scared me to death. I think I was sitting there watching Xanadu. As a matter of fact, I think Xanadu was on the TV, which, wow, you have to be drunk to watch that. Yeah. But, say, let's face it. Olivia Newton-John in a spandex turned you around there. Is what it, <laughs> yeah, that's what it was. Okay. Yeah, that's what it was. But when I heard that, I got up and I reached out to a friend of mine that also worked at the same company. And I called him up and said, Kenny, man, it's I, I got to have help or I'm going to die. And he jumped into gear. He ran over to my wife, Tracy. He said, Larry just called me. He needs help. We got to get some something going now. And then they went into the CIO's office and Larry called, laid out the scenario. And he just happened to live next door to the son of a doctor that is partner at one of the most prominent rehab facilities in the country. It's a place called and they have offices in Dallas, and then they have a ranch in a small town called Van Alstine, which is in North Texas. And it's a massive ranch, and it's a very high-dollar facility that I should not have been able to go to. I had insurance, but insurance wasn't going to cover it. Insurance would put me in a state facility of some sort. But he worked it out so that it got a little bit of a discount on the scenario. But what had really happened that allowed me to go to Interhealth also was... Three years prior, my grandmother passed away. And my grandmother played a very pivotal role in everything that I had. She put me through okay. all of my private school. She bought me all my cars. She bought me all my clothes. She supported me from every angle that you can imagine. But she had passed away. And I had just found out back around January of 2013, maybe February, that, and I was her sole heir. And okay. it was just a, it wasn't a whole lot to the estate. It's a little, Two bedroom house and the second bedroom was an add on. It was just a small house. I think she paid forty yeah. five hundred dollars for it back in the fifties or whatever. So yeah. nothing crazy there. But they helped get you into this facility. Is that what we're saying? This is where we're going with it. Yes. Yeah. So I had inherited everything, and there was no money to be had then. She also had oil royalties that I didn't even know about. Okay. I knew about them, but I'd never seen any money from them. Whatever. But I had gotten a call around January of, of 2013 from an oil company and said, hey, we've got something we need to share with you. We're looking for Wilma Roberts, who is my grandmother. And I told him the story and I had the letters testamentary and the will and all that and sent it to him. And it was a fairly decent amount of money that uh, ended up coming in from that. And that's what allowed me to afford to go to this facility. So it was interesting to see that while my grandmother supported me through everything my entire life, here in my most desperate time of need, who comes to the rescue? Just yeah. she was it's, again. It's, yeah. it's grandma again. It's gosh, this is insane. How cool so, is it? How cool is oh, that? It was amazing. It was insane. But Ray made the arrangements for me to go to Inner Health. And within a couple of hours, Kenny and my wife, they were at the house and they're like, we're here to pick you up and whisk you away and take you away. And I don't remember a whole lot of this exchange. I'm going by basically what they've told me because I continued to drink even after I called for help. And then they told me that I wouldn't leave the house till I did about five more shots before heading off to rehab. Mm. So I don't know what got into me there, but anyhow, so they get you're, me to rehab. You're, you're and, partying shots some literally, huh? In a way. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So they get me to the facility. They go to check me in and the facility can't hold me because my vitals are, are too far gone. Oh they gosh. can't stabilize me. So they end up having to call an ambulance. So here's the new guy at the rehab facility getting whisked out now on a gurney to an ambulance and uh, back in the hospital. So I spent three or four days in the hospital again. Don't remember much at all of the stay other than I remember trying to get out of there because nobody likes being in the hospital. But before they would release me, I had to be able to walk a straight line. And I remember them walking me around the floor uh, that I was on. And I remember the 12-inch tiles. And I kept telling myself, watch the seams of the tiles so you could stay on a straight line. So I was just one foot in front of the other, one foot in front of the other, follow the line. I specifically remember that. And then they whisked me off and took me back to the rehab facility where 
I spent a week in their recovery wing, much of which I don't remember. And then I was supposed to be there only six weeks. But at the end of the six weeks, my wife, she came and got me and we went and had lunch. And I just wasn't ready. It was weird being yeah. sober and being back out in public and not really understanding how things work. While she didn't necessarily support the idea at the time, she does now, but she wasn't happy with the fact that I said, I need another week. Yeah, uh, And it wasn't so much okay. the time, but it was also a very expensive decision to make yeah. as well. So I uh, went yet, back for another week. And that is probably a pivotal decision for you as well, wasn't it? To I believe it was. Way, I, I don't believe I, I don't I don't know that the results would have been the same had I just stayed for six as compared to the seven. But I did that last week. So you've gone through the rehab then, Larry, and you, mm-hmm. so you were able then to take all this incredible adversity. Yeah. And somehow or another pivot your life to a whole different and completely different tangent in a way. Sure. A direction. And so Let's talk a little bit about that for a second and uh, in terms of what do you think are some of the actions that you took then to help you to, I know you got more of your story here, but what do you have some things you think you took then or maybe others encouraged you to do, but you had to make some decisions and actions yeah. yourself to, because what you're doing, you're heading down the road of demise, man. You were in a spiral sure. going down in order to get out of that. You had to be very intentional to break out of it. So what do you think are two or three things that you did action wise to break out of it? I had to find another purpose. And just for the record, I came out of rehab and I was, I've been sober since I don't go to meetings. I had never let's talk gone to meetings. It. Let's just say, yay God to that. Let's just yeah. say, let's yeah. celebrate that. And that's a part of the whole deal that once you yeah. made the decision, you've maintained it and kept it going. Yep. So good. Yep. But how did we get to where we're at today? After the fact, I think I had to find some direction. I had to find some fulfillment. And what I ended up finding on accident was podcasting. And I started a podcast and got heavily involved in the podcast community and the podcast space, accidentally lucked into a podcast that was pretty successful for my first podcast ever, more successful than any other show I've had since then. And it just gave me direction and it gave me creative fulfillment and it gave me that really direction. I had I didn't have that back at the office while I still had my job and my career. I had done a lot of damage in the office and my career was going to go nowhere. They weren't going to fire me. They were going to let me go. The CIO, he made sure of that. But at the same time, now I'm stagnant. I'm a business intelligence analyst and I'm going, I'm never going to be in management. I'm never going to, it just, it's over basically. If I wanted to stay there and retire in 20 more years, then yeah, I probably could have, but It wasn't fulfilling and podcasting and creating and content creation and speaking. Those all came fairly natural to me. You know, from 2014 up until uh, 2021, I continued to build on that. And I I built a company on that. I launched my company in 2017 and I was just trying to figure out how to leverage podcasting to make a living, to build a business and even make more than just a living. And it took some time to do that. But throughout that process, I got heavily involved in the podcast community, started establishing myself as a podcast coach, ended up getting to the point where January 4th of 2021, I was able to walk away from my career. And I say retire from my corporate career to do what I'm doing today full time. Now I've managed to work my way into a national level paid speaker. That's one of my primary sources of income is speaking now, whether it's sharing this story or whether it's talking about podcasting or whether it's talking about how to leverage AI in a variety of different ways. Those are all some of the topics that I cover branding and that sort of thing as well. Two or three things I just want to comment here is yeah. about you made you put right on your website, redheadmedia.io, podcasting not only changed my life, it saved it. Yeah. Now I owe it to the industry to give my clients everything I have. I think that's a fascinating thing to say because a lot of people would, <clears throat> given your story, would they would say maybe I did it on my own or I, somehow I found the wherewithal or my wife helped me or whatever. And those all, I'm sure, are factors there. Sure. But you found you found something to give you fulfillment, is what you said, mm-hmm. and you found fulfillment in something like podcasting, which is where you are contributing your voice, literally, and part of your essence of who you are to serve others. And I love what that's about. And I just think that's an important thing for our audience to hear. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just the absence of the bad stuff anymore 
that not just the absence of the drinking that you were finding all kinds of ways to justify that artificial means that chemical means to give you some fulfillment now you had to find fulfillment by feeling the pain and then filling the void with something that is a progressive and purposeful so yep. i think that's awesome and that's part of what that's about let me ask if there's any aspect of this. A lot of times when people have a change in their life, Larry, there's not only this sense of action that they got to do something and they find some direction to go. Some people find it in their kids or their grandkids. I know that's my story here with me. Some of my, I'm overcoming cancer right now. But uh, also for a lot of folks, there's some sort of a connection to something greater than self. It might be a spiritual thing or a religious thing, or it might be, meditation, but it's a lot of times people have some sense that there's something, some greater purpose, not only the fulfillment of the action of podcasting, but some greater purpose, some greater divine sense. So is there any aspect of this for you in your process of recovery here? To a degree, probably not to the degree that many would expect. I get a lot of fulfillment out of watching others grow and helping others and coaching others and living vicariously through their success. But Without going off on too many tangents here, I, I, I have a lot of experience, a lot of negative experience with concepts of higher power, religion, and yeah, it's interesting there. So from that perspective, it's I'm a little shallow, to be quite honest with you. I, I live, I want to make my wife happy. Uh, I want to make my kids proud of me, uh, but it doesn't go much deeper than that, in all honesty. Thank you for being honest about that and just sharing with yeah, that. I mean, I uh, can blow smoke and tell you, the, <laughs> but I, I, I just don't. It's, it's just not, not what I'm about. I think, yeah. <clears throat> excuse me, the most important thing, one of the most important things people have is integrity and honesty and authenticity. Yeah. And I take you, Larry, to be a guy who values authenticity very highly. Is that a fair thing? That say? is a very fair thing to say. Yeah, yeah I, I don't, I can't build, uh, I can't build on nonsense. I can't build on fallacies. And I think you build out of the, your authenticity, especially, and I think some of that may come from the fact that when you were drinking so heavily and involved with just a kind of a fake life in a way, that sure. was a, that was pretty inauthentic way of living your life. Would you be agreeable to oh, that yeah, statement? Would, yeah, because <laughs> you're in an inebriated state, so you're not you're almost not almost you by are. almost by definition you are clouded. You are your sure. brain is fried, messed sure. up, and now you are. In order to do things you're doing, and you are highly skilled in artificial intelligence and all a lot of high tech stuff, and mm-hmm. <clears throat> you're sharing that with with the world. You cannot be messed up in the mind to do that can you <laughs> <laughs> no i cannot imagine doing what i do now and yeah. having any sort of of distraction from that perspective not at all and, and besides that you got to be creative you got to be thinking creatively sure. and that means you got to have those neurons firing and uh, i love how you talk about that to serve others but i'd like you to talk for a second i want to talk to you about the cognitive part of this for just a second okay in terms of getting through that and the cognitive part to me is has to do with disciplines and how you have to live your life now. You said before that you actually had a rhythm or a habit that you would you drink after work and you drink at various times. It was sure. discipline was that way to you know, numb yourself. What kind of disciplines do you have now, either physical health-wise or mind-wise or work-wise or disciplines to be productive? What are some of you them, some of the things you do now that kind of you know replace those old habits with something that's productive now? Yeah, it's accountability more so than anything else. Okay. Uh, when when I look back on my martial arts uh, timeframes, there was always accountability there. And without some sort of accountability, I just don't perform at the level that I need to perform at. Back then, if you didn't perform where you needed to perform at, you were held accountable by getting basically punched in the face. Yeah. And, and so that, that was day. and that got your attention. <laughs> that'll get your attention quick. So <laughs> nowadays it, it it's you don't physically get punched in the face, but you do face adversity each and every day, Yes, whether it's securing new clients, whether it's securing speaking gigs. It's a very competitive market that's out there. And if you don't stay on top of all the latest trends, all the latest techniques, all the latest consumption habits of content consumers, you're going to disappear. It's real simple and it catches you very quick. So you're held accountable when you see new technologies and new developments and new trends and you can't speak to them. 
I, I am in a very public space when it comes to podcasting and even in the AI space to a certain degree. And when people want to meet with me and they have these questions, if I can't answer them, then I lose all credibility right out the gate. So that's how I'm held accountable each and every day. I have to make sure that I show up every morning. I have to make sure. And this is a habit that I have. I literally fall asleep because I sleep on the couch because my back's a little rough because I had a, I'd spent a few years getting beat up. So yeah. uh, sleeping in beds is very difficult. But for some reason, the couch is perfect. So it allows me to watch whatever I want to while the wife sleeps snugly in the bed. And I go to sleep every night watching YouTube videos on something, whether it be how to tweak a YouTube channel or the latest AI news. I wake up in the morning. I wake up at 4.30 every day like clockwork. I don't have an alarm. My eyes just go, ting, hello. And (laughs) when I wake up, I turn on the first thing I do is I'll consume several instructional type or educational type videos on YouTube that keeps me abreast of what's going on in the industry from a variety of different perspectives. And you grasp it, you process it, in order to teach others. Exactly. And I have a book that sits right here. It's called Extreme Ownership. And this sits by me all the time. And it's it, we're responsible for everything that we do, whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether it's good luck, whether it's bad luck, whatever you want to call it, it all comes back to me. So that's my accountability yeah. is knowing that regardless of what happens, it's my fault. Yeah, it's your Ownership. Now, I want to take that ownership that you have about yourself. Yeah. Let's see how I'm going to take kind of one more track I want to go with you. And that is how you then transfer or translate that ownership you have in yourself to how you serve others. Because here's, we talked a minute ago about how authentic you are about yourself and so on. But I also see you being a passionate servant of others. You are passionate about podcasting, you are passionate about AI. And you wear the red hat, that's your symbol, that's your deal, partly because it just shows that I want to be noticed for that I got something to share that is of value. So tell me how you share with passion and with love, if you will, what you're all about to people who are ravenously wanting this information. How do you serve the how do you serve folks? Well, by helping them achieve their goals is how I serve them. And it's in a variety of different ways. My speaking career took off from 2017 to where it's at today. So many podcasters also want to be speakers. So I help them every step of the way. People want to launch their podcast. I help them launch their podcast every step of the way. Sure, my business, I charge to launch podcasts, branded podcasts. And those are a totally different type of podcast than an independent creator that just wants to have their voice heard or have their message out to the public. I help those people all the time and I don't charge them a dime. Because it's awesome to me to see that smile on their face or see their shoulders rise and their back get straight because they're proud of what they've created. So if I can see that in them, that provides me with a sense of fulfillment. And from a speaking perspective, there's an interesting parallel that I drew. I think it was last August when I spoke at Podcast Movement. I was super nervous because Podcast Movement is one of the premier organizations in podcasting. And I'm speaking on their stage and it was a big auditorium. And I remember I was bouncing around and it felt just like I was about to get in the ring. Went back to your fighting days. Hundred percent. It felt the exact same way, the same nerves, the same anxiety, the same just amped up. And then I got up there, did a fairly decent job, came off, and it was like I had my hand raised in the ring. (laughs) And it felt the exact same way, except I didn't have to get punched in the face. So that was really cool. (laughs) So that sometimes when you speak, it feels like a punch in the gut, but that's sometimes uh, it does. Yes, it does. I've been there, (laughs) but it's all part of it. That's awesome. And you served your audience. And I bet you, I I know this would be the case. People have responded very well, right? You have been serving people. So let's go, let's go to, let's make that whole sense of serving others a little bit more intimate for a minute. Okay. Can you share with me just a testimony, if you will, of a person or possibly a company, but I'm more interested in a person who you've been able to serve. You don't have to give any names if you don't want to, you can if you want to, but uh, you've served by what you've shared and you've seen that aha moment come come out and maybe seen some actual transformation of how they have done life. Can you share a story with us? There's honestly so many. And from a podcasting perspective, it's interesting to, 
uh, I had a gentleman that he was a, a PhD with uh, in safety and engineering. And yeah. from a corporate perspective, I don't remember exactly what the degree was, but I know he had a PhD in safety, which I thought was pretty interesting. And he was struggling to get his podcast off the ground and struggling to get his website off the ground. And he's actually one of the first guys that I really worked with directly. It might have been 17, maybe 2018-ish. To work with him directly and see him take his podcast from literally nothing to where it was, and I haven't been in touch with him in a couple of years, but just the level of gratitude and just the level of expression from him, I found so much fulfillment in because when, when you see people struggling and people frustrated trying to achieve their goals and you have, I don't know, like a ticket to the dance, it's, it's just an answer to a question or maybe it's just one little thing that they can change, whether it be the way they present themselves with their graphics or their branding, whether it's the way they are on the mic. If you can coach them through that and you see that transformation and, and Dr. David Paradin was his name. And when I saw Dr. David do his thing with his podcast, it just took it to another level. I saw him start speaking on bigger stages and it was just seeing him go from, man, I want all this. How do I get it? And with just a few small tweaks, we were able to get him where he wanted to go. And he's stayed in contact with me up until probably last year was the last time I heard from him. But yeah, just seeing that, that type of transformation is just amazing. And like I said, Dr. Paradin, he's just one of several that I've taken and on that, that journey. And that affirms you so much, doesn't it? When you have those, oh, it's insane. those personal stories and you see that aha moment, the light comes on and people are changed. Because some people invested in you a while back when you were drinking and other things like oh, that. You know, get your life changed around and maybe in some other way, maybe in a business setting or well, they still do every day. And if it communication was, skills, whatever it is, well, you're that's the thing people. is while I sit here and talk about me helping people, it's I, I have to look back at the people that help me. Yeah. I, I, there's so many people that have put me in the position that I'm in as I sit here right now today. I, I wouldn't be speaking on national stages if it wasn't for Chris Kremitzos from PodFest yes. and even David Hooper, who we share as a podcast coach. These guys have been instrumental in elevating my game and taking me to the next level. And yeah. it, it, everything always goes back to karate. But I remember <laughs> back in the day when shopping malls were still a thing and I would walk through the mall and my little dragons would be walking through with their parents. They go, Oh, Mr. Roberts. Oh, I watched my kata, watch my kick. I've been practicing. When you see that type of response from the people that you've had an impact on in their lives, I, there's really nothing better. There is nothing more exciting to see that look of excitement. And what's cool is I'm talking about my little dragon, six, seven year old little kids that are excited to be kicking and punches, punching. But you see the same thing in a 47-year-old man or a 47-year-old woman that's doing something cool with their podcast. Yeah, and awesome? it's the exact same fulfillment. It's that exact same level of excitement. In their own way, they're kicking too, aren't they? They're kicking. Uh, 100%. 100%. Kind of so but, but that, speak, that, that's what I love. I, yeah, I love that aspect. There's almost not, nothing better than that. that's what I live for. My I got my doctorate degree in transformational leadership because I love to see that in people when they yeah. have transformed some another in my leadership was a part of that process. Yeah. Love to see that in you. Love to see what you're doing. And you live it out in your website and what you offer there. You have a new podcast. Let's just tell people what your new podcast is. And so people can get connected to that. And then we'll we'll talk about that just for a second or to close. Sure. As you mentioned, it's a brand new podcast called Branded. I think we're six episodes in myself and my co-host, Sarah Losi. I met Sarah at a podcasting conference and it's a very interesting dynamic because here I am. I'll be 51 here in a few weeks and she is a whopping 27. So she's fresh out of school with her marketing degree and I never went to college and don't have a degree. So I've got a ton more life experience than she's got. So it makes for some very interesting conversations and a very fun dynamic dynamic so yeah uh, well it, i, I fun to play off encourage and people to check that out so tell people larry tell people how larry roberts tell folks who may want to learn more about you how they can connect up with you and learn more about you and possibly be under your influence yeah, hundred percent. You can go to my website, redhatmedia.io. I'm literally on every social media platform that's out there. Larry Roberts, Instagram is the Larry Roberts. Facebook is the Larry Roberts. I think YouTube, the Larry Roberts. Just look for the Larry Roberts. And if you find a Larry Roberts that's not wearing a red hat, 
<laughs> and we will also put connections to what you're all about at our website, drbradmiller.com. And what a fascinating conversation. Larry Roberts, thanks for being with us here on Beyond Adversity today. Redhatmedia.io and the Branded Podcast. And he's been our guest here today on the Beyond Adversity Podcast, where we look to help you to grow through what you go through. You know, there are certain people I've got to know in the realm of doing this podcast and, and getting involved with the world of podcasting at conferences and so on. Larry is one of those guys who I've got to know personally and seeing him speak in public and to see how he interacts with people and as a real leader. But I had no idea until we talked to this podcast that the really uh, incredible adversities of, of alcoholism and you heard the story about his, about his, uh, uh, birth defects he was dealing with as well. And now he pushed through all those things and got through them in order to succeed in life. These are the kind of stories that I love to tell here on Beyond Adversity. And Larry Roberts is an indication of that. And I hope that you'll check out all the other stories we have on Beyond Adversity as well. I just want to thank Larry for being with us, for sharing his incredible journey of overcoming adversity and finding purpose in life. And I'd just like to lift up a few things that came out of this episode today. Number one is the power of genuine connection and support. Larry, as you know, reached out to a friend and some co-workers in his darkest hour. And in that act of vulnerability, that's really what changed the course of, of his life. And maybe for you as well. It just reminds me, and I think it, I hope it reminds you that it's okay to seek help. It's also okay, and it's a good thing to be there for others when you can be the one to help uh, be a part of transformation that can take place. It works both ways. We need to reach out for help, and we need to be a helper at times and to be available. The second thing is the importance of authenticity in personal and professional growth. And that your story and Larry's story uh, just resonates the idea of being yourself. You know, the whole thing about the red hat is just a lot of fun about finding fulfillment in a personal identity and success. And and you, you heard how Larry then overcame uh, the addiction of alcoholism and embraced a new passion for podcasting. Uh, he began to help others with that and it led him now into really being one of the go-to experts in the field of AI, artificial intelligence. And uh, if you, uh, you just Google up, uh, Larry Roberts, and you'll find all kinds of great stuff from him on YouTube and other places where he gives some great leadership and insight on AI and podcasting. But the third point I want to lift up for you is the value of accountability and continuous learning. Larry, in his recovery, uh, talks about continuous learning and being accountable to others now, and about that shows us all the the importance of Staying informed, growing, in other words. You cannot stay stuck in your addiction, uh, and this is not going to work. You have to be knowledgeable. And particularly in the fields like AI that he's involved with, it is changing <laughs> rapidly on a daily basis, and Larry is up to speed on that. I hope that you've been inspired by, by Larry's. To, go, to get beyond adversity means you have to identify that adversity and listen to stories like Larry's, but create your own story of facing your own adversity and then finding your triumph. And most of the time, it's going to be about replacing your adversity with something more positive and keep pushing uh, through and beyond your, your limits. So just, you know, what would Larry do? He, he says it right there on his website and what he shared with us, that podcasting not only changed my life, but it saved my life. And now I owe it to the industry to give my clients everything that I have. That's what he says. What's your thing? What's your thing you're going to replace the adversity in your life with? My name is Dr. Brad Miller. I'm here to be helpful to you. Here at the Beyond Adversity Podcast, we have stories from great teachers and leaders like Larry Roberts. I have a doctoral degree in transformational leadership. I teach about the ACTS method, the ACTS method, taking action is the A, C is to connect with higher power, the T is the to think with, uh, with transformative power, and the S is to serve others with love. That's part of what I teach. You can find out more about what I teach at drbradmiller.com. That's also where you can find all this back catalog, over 270 episodes of this podcast over several years with great leaders to speak into 
your life. I know that we can do it and be helpful to you. But really, you know, it's about you stepping forward and taking action in order to face adversity and to get through them. Do you want to remind you one more time about Larry's website is redhatmedia.io and his podcast, which he does with Sarah Loshi, is called Branded, uh, the Branded Podcast, and you can check those out. Hope that you'll check us out on our next episode of the Beyond Adversity Podcast, which you can find in all the podcast directories and certainly at our website, Dr. Brad Miller. Look forward to you joining us next time on Beyond Adversity, friends. Until next time, this is Dr. Brad Miller encouraging you to always do all the good that you can. Thank you for listening to the Beyond Adversity podcast with Dr. Brad Miller. You can find a complete archive of all episodes at drbradmiller.com. That's drbradmiller.com. Or subscribe for free through Apple Podcasts and never miss an episode. Each week, we bring you a message to crush adversity and live your life of peace, prosperity, and purpose.